0: Hello and welcome to another thoroughly depressing episode of the Tune Under pod. If there's one thing worse than conceding a late equaliser to relegation rivals, it's looking at your watch and seeing that it's 2.50am, or 3.50am if you're in Victoria, and you've been right up through the middle of the night, and you're going to be woken up in two hours by a toddler. So that was uh, that was my my night on Saturday night. So I'm Jack, and with me to sift through the wreckage of yet another result thrown away is Craig and Bobby. It looks like the tsunami didn't get you on Saturday night, Craig, and I'm absolutely thrilled to see that you've had a shave.
1: Yeah, fresh face. Don't look like a rare ball egg on a barbershop floor anymore, <laughs> uh, which is good. Um, but yeah, tsunami didn't get me, but the ash cloud, that came over Ken's today. I uh, had a brilliant sunrise this morning, like a bright red bright orange uh, glow it was fantastic.
0: Ash cloud from the volcano just outside Tonga?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was over at Ken's today. About 15k up into the sky, apparently. How
0: How is how is Ken's still a place? All this, <laughs> stuff, that, all this stuff that happens.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't exist. It really shouldn't. But, you know, it's like one of those places when it's like a, the cockroach of the world when everywhere else is dead. Ken's is still going to
0: exist. <laughs> It'll just be Cairns and a lot of cassowaries running around. Crazy.
1: <laughs> Bobby
0: time. Any any ash clouds in Ballarat, Bobby? How are you?
2: Uh good thanks, mate. No, no ash clouds, just dark clouds, mate. That's uh that's all we get here. Some snow. So but today was twenty three and sunny, so I'll take that.
0: Good stuff. Dark clouds over Ballarat, dark clouds over St James's Park, I think, after the weekend. So, Newcastle have now thrown away 21 points from winning positions in the league this season. And we remain marooned on a solitary league win from 20 games. Really, it's quite amazing that we haven't been relegated already with stats like that. I think something with the way the league's gone this season is playing in our favour a little bit. But whatever bounce we might have hoped for, um, to get from changing the managers definitely failed to materialise. And there's no question that we are staring down the barrel of relegation. And, you know, there there are still 54 points to play for, which is encouraging. But when you can't even get three points at once, we can only do that once all season. It's not looking good. So we'll have a look a bit later at where the result leaves the club in the overall context of the season. But because I'm a very sick man, because we're all sick people who do this podcast, I want to go a little bit more in depth into the, the Watford game so it was quite encouraging beforehand you know we had the, the war flags displays just keep on getting better and better joe linton's got mm-hmm. his own special flag now We had kieran trippier and chris wood making the league debuts we set up in a 4-3-3 formation um, alan saint-maximan gave us the lead after 49 minutes before watford very very deservedly equalized on 88 minutes it's another late late uh, concession for newcastle and I don't think even sort of the, the most one-eyed Newcastle supporter would claim that we deserved to win that game. I think we were doing the watch along, um, and I think we were pretty unanimous. There was us and everybody who was watching that we were struggling, that we were probably going to concede, and that we didn't deserve anything anything from the game. Really, we had one shot on target in the whole game. Watford had five shots on target. So, Bobby, I'm going to come to you first. Really bad, bad result. Terrible performance. What's your assessment of the performance from Newcastle on Saturday against Watford?
2: Uh, Shattering. Um, We were all up for it, as you said, before the game. We get Chris Wood in, a striker we needed. Um, The war flags display was absolutely elite. You know, you're talking Borussia Dortmund type Mm. standard and, you know, how can you not be up for that? And then you get a performance from these players, a lot of them, still with us from the championship. And I don't think they can lift their levels at all. I just don't think they've got it in them um, after that. And it's a big, big worry. Um, we always seem to come up with a new problem area every week. So it was, we needed a striker desperately. We got one and now it's <laughs> centre defence, but I reckon it's more our midfield as well. It was just totally anonymous in there. And Watford's last, Watford's last 10 minutes, uh, I just think they had ample opportunities to kill the game as well because Shelby and Longstaff were just nowhere to
0: be seen. Hmm. Yeah, the the midfield like you said it's funny because we desperately needed a striker, we got one. That that kind of seemed to jump the queue and and prioritize a little bit over cent, central of defense. We've been chasing potentially unattainable targets at center back. Um I think the fact that We've got more than one cent- fit centre-back probably plays into that as well. So we did have yeah. people who could play, even if they're not playing to the standard we, we hope they're going to. But like you said, I think we we needed three or four players before this game. Uh, we still need three or four players in those same positions. Uh, midfield was very, very poor. Uh, Shelby, Shelby's di- he's difficult. I remember talking on this podcast a while ago and... I said that i thought shelby was a lost cause he's just a player that i just can't warm to i don't think um, i'm ever going to uh, i know i know that it's his style that makes him look um, lazy maybe he, maybe he's not lazy i remember steve bruce once saying that he actually had the best running stats of any of the central midfielders in one game which maybe says more about uh, the other central midfielders than shelby but he he seems to have kind of reverted to type. He can go through spells where he plays well, and then he he drops off. And he was poor the other day. Longstaff's slow. He doesn't seem to suit that position. The problem is we don't really have anybody else who can step in and play particularly well. I don't think. Craig, Sorry. what do you think?
1: Yeah, the the midfield is a massive, uh, cause for concern right now. Shelby, he's, like I said in a tweet earlier on today, he's a one-trick pony and he's forgot how to do that trick. He's just... He's not the player he was when we first signed more, that was a good couple of years ago now. It'll be, was it five, six years ago, this transfer window we got him now?
0: 2016, I think. Mm, yeah, so it'll be, yeah. uh,
1: I... what, six, seven years now then, maybe. Yeah, yeah?
0: seven years, yeah. maybe,
1: yeah. Yeah, it so was, was the winter transfer window we got him. Um Yeah, he's from then he's just rapidly gone downhill uh long is a shadow of the former player he was once promised to be uh he's just too slow he's got the turning circle of a yacht he's just i don't rate sean Longstaff anywhere near as much as i once did and i think we all rated him quite highly at one point but yeah he's uh he's playing for a new contract with performances like that, you'd be lucky if you get one for Whitley Bay. I just yeah. don't see how anyone thinks he's Premier League quality. Um, the two wide men, if you want to call them wide men, in uh, some Max Mann and Fraser, ASM gave away the ball, fought him much in that first half. Every time he got anywhere close to anyone trying to do a little trick, flick, back heel, whatever, they were just disposed straight away, and then they're on the counter attack, leaving us heavily exposed. And every time we were uh, against on the counter-attack, I always thought we could have conceded. We never looked like we were calm or comfortable in defence, but that's been the story since day one of the season.
0: Mm. I just want to touch on saint Maximan because I, I was just watching him in that first half. I was getting so frustrated because we were saying on the when we were watching it, he's, he's talented. He's, he's in the team because he can go and do something like score a goal out of nothing, which you then did four minutes after half time. I sent a tweet out at half time and it just said, saint Maximan is annoying me. And he was annoying me. And then I I'd reverse jinxed him. So he came up and did what he does, nicked the ball, and he scored a really good goal. But is is it worth, we, we don't have many op, other options at the moment, but is it worth having a player in the team like that who. It's very hot and cold. He's hit and miss. He's going to do nothing, but then he's going to pop up. And he's one of the only players we've got who can actually score a goal at the moment. What do you think, Bobby?
2: Uh, In a perfect world, no. I think um, we've seen, and I mentioned this on one of the early podcasts, about, uh, say, Maximum being a watch and see, when there's a, a system that needs to be played both offensively and defensively, and he's got to fit into this system, he goes missing and he's shown it in his past as well. And it's why he hasn't got the big moves, you know, for his unbelievable highlight reel and unbelievable talent. There's no big clubs knocking at his door. So in a perfect world, no, but we're not in a perfect world at Newcastle. We (laughs) we need his goals or his threat of goals to get us out of it. And I just think, when we went with the four-three-three, I don't think it suits us at all because ASM out wide—it's never worked. I don't can't remember a time where it has worked. He needs to be playing just behind the striker um, to to utilize him the best way and not have him do all these tricks and turns on the side and then lose the ball. So look, there's a lot of issues and a lot of red flags up at the moment, and he's probably people will be listening to this going, "Oh, come on, he's not even." our worst issue. There's more things to discuss, but unfortunately he's just
0: part of a a, a
2: bank of issues that are costing us at the moment. Mm -hmm.
0: But on the flip side of that, if we didn't have him, he scored against Man United, he scored against Watford, he scored against the equalizer against Brentford. So he's one of our only players who can actually score a goal. So there's issues absolutely ravaging throughout this team and he, if he can be utilized properly is a, a very useful player, but, and he's, he's funny on Twitter as well, which is good, good news for the fan base. He's a, uh, he's, some of the stuff he does on Twitter is absolutely amazing. Um, but as in terms of a serious, if you want, if you want talking about building a squad and building a team, it's difficult to see where he kind of fits in, in the long term, um, and you can see why he likes Steve Bruce so much, because if Steve just said, just go out and play, just go out and do your thing, which and indulged in, which you did seem to do, then pl- players are going to like that, aren't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially with uh, any player with an ego, um, allowed to do what he wants to do on the football pitch. I don't think Steve Bruce had any tactics, so there was no fitting into a system. It was just go out there and enjoy boys and do what you can do.
0: Um, yeah. And I think we we are going to talk about Eddie Howe later as well because he's he's been copping some criticism lately, which is fair enough. Um, but and it did seem worryingly a little bit like he was using the kind of tactic of let's just try and give it to Saint Maximin and hope he can do something. Um, I really was worried about our lack of attacking cohesion against Watford. But what did you make of? Chris Wood, uh, Craig, and his his debut. It was quite a quiet one.
1: He was. I think Chris Wood benefits from having somebody quite next to him, uh, quite close to him, sorry. And I think uh, he had ESM, who was too far away, and same with Fraser as well. When he got those little knockdowns, uh, they weren't close enough to pick up the ball or anything. He was also crowded out every single time he got anything close to being on the ball. So I kind of really put any follow on there. And he had two days training as well. So Mm. I'm not going to have any digs or anything at Chris Wood. I just think he was thrown into the mix, not necessarily too early, but he just didn't have enough time to get the game plan or anything like that. And time will tell whether he can click with uh, Fraser and uh, St. Maxman, if they can squeeze together as a more compact three to pick up those knockdowns, those loose balls and everything that's where it's going to be critical for us, them three working together, especially over the next six weeks with their Wilson being out?
0: When I was watching the the highlights of Chris Wood's goals for Burnley, it really struck me. I think there's about 50 goals, 55 goals, and there was a highlight reel of every single one. And it really struck me how uh, he linked up with Dwight McNeil. Um, And Dwight McNeil's not necessarily a player I've paid that much attention to. I know there was a lot of noise around him a few years ago but it was really quite intriguing the way that Chris Wood benefited a lot from having him having him out there feeding him and it's it's a it's a very clear system that Burnley had so it's kind of like a very rigid 442 or a 4411 with Dwight McNeil out on the left and that's mm-hmm. not the not the system that Newcastle are going to play we do have Kieran Trippier who can put a decent cross in um but yeah i don't think we can judge Chris Wood on that performance i think yeah. it's we saw some of his, his hold up play, which is going to be useful, but just like, uh, Trippier is probably sitting here wondering what he's signed up for here and what he's got himself into. (laughs) I'm sure the
2: bank balance balance doesn't, um, when he, when he gets his first paycheck, he's going to be okay after that. But, um, no, yeah, I thought Chris Wood was okay. Like, I think he's, um, he'll provide something for us. We didn't sign him to to score 30 goals in a season. He's going to, offer something, but again, it's about the system we play and having no wide men, I suppose Fraser can a little bit, but who can take a man on, knock it wide, and then cross the ball in, ASM isn't going to do that. So Chris Wood's in the box, I've noticed it a few times where um, he was waiting for the ball to come in and it just wasn't coming in. Um, so there's obviously some tinkering to be done with the formation now that Chris Wood's in the team and who to play, who not to play, but I don't see any. Anyone on the bench or in reserve mm. that's going to come on and make a difference in that anyway. So, mm. yeah, lo- lots to um, lots to, to think about. One shot on target at home against Watford tells you that it. You know, the defense copped a battering on Twitter on after the game, but there's that's a, a big
0: problem area too. In terms of the the defense, kind of that they, they make individual mistakes all the time. You know they make terrible errors, schoolboy errors every game. Lascelles did one that he kind of got away with. He did, basically, did what Kieran Clark did against Norwich, but he did it further up the pitch, and he got away with that. I think he got a yellow card on that occasion. And then, Burn uh, Watford's goal was just kind of wise. There was there was all sorts of issues that went on in the build up, including an absolutely appalling example of game management where Dubravka, for some reason it was as if we were losing and you had to get on with the game quickly lee was pointing this out on the on the watch along but what is going on with this the game management is just non existent it's terrible I, I think i don't know do you think there's some kind of mental block here cuz my my take on this is that this is a team so down on confidence it's down on quality in the defensive areas is there a mental block going on here where we get there obviously is cuz we get ahead and we can't hold on to hold on to results but what is what do you think bobby is the main problem here that's causing us to to do this week after week
2: we need a psychiatrist sports psych, into the building to, to talk um uh, i think yeah i think they're mentally blown a lot of these people these guys that have been at the club for a long time i think they know the writing's on the wall for them as well and it's probably a hard thing to come to training hear what we're hearing I mean as fans we're getting frustrated with all the new names being linked but imagine being a player and you're a centre back and you got all these names being linked or you're a centre midfielder and you got all these names being linked and of elite quality and then you've got to go out in front of 50,000 fans and try to perform um, knowing it's going to be the end soon so I think there's a lot of this stuff that's happening and I think that's just causing the issues but it was actually in my notes about the game management it just blew me away like to Bradford to, to just get the ball going and and get it on it was shocking. And you can I think a couple of the players are checked out. Like Almiron, when he came on, he's a zippy player, high fitness level, pace. That goal, it was his man that crossed the ball in that he let go. And if you this vision of him and Dummett in that little sequence, and Dummett beat him to that man. Now that should not happen. He was a fresh man. I think there's some players that have just mentally checked out of the club. Mm. Um so yeah, a lot of issues here and it's uh yeah, it's depressing really when you keep <laughs> on a podcast and bring it back up again. I thought I was getting over it, but yeah. I know, yeah,
0: sorry. <laughs> and then and then you've got Jamal Lassells getting out jumped by a guy who's, you know, six, seven inches smaller than him. And it's just kind of basic defensive things that are going on it was a really good cross don't get me wrong but there was obviously a lot of um, prop, our fault in the build up to that but then your captain he's he's not in good form you know he's he's been he's been a good player for newcastle over the last kind of 8 or 9 years but you know we, we can we can't have these defensive errors every game and expect to to not to to win games you know we were we were on the on the watch along and Newcastle was sitting back, so as soon as we scored, we were all just starting to get worried about it. We we lost control of the game in the midfield, and we I, I don't I don't believe that Eddie Howe said to them, "You need to sit back now. Let's hold on to this." It's not it's not in his managerial style or his makeup to do that. So to me, that just shows that this is a ingrained kind of culture, of fear among the players that the and maybe. I know we've talked a little bit privately about this as well but maybe it's the the kind of pressure of playing at St James's Park as well when when you get that such good support like that it maybe adds a, an extra layer of pressure. Craig what do you think about the kind of Newcastle's game management and the the result of sitting back the way they did against Watford?
1: Well it's not just Watford we've done that with. It was against Burnley. We've got look, very lucky against Burnley because they had a goal disallowed as well, if I remember rightly. Um, it was rightly disallowed, but again, they still had the ball on the back of the net. And I don't care how good your team is defensively. at 1-0, you're always vulnerable. Regardless whether you're at Real Madrid, Juventus, whoever, there's still that chance that the opposing team can get a corner, whip it in, and you back at 1-1. And that, that's the thing I don't understand is why aren't we going for the kill the momentum with is with us we've got the goal we've got the advantage they have to come out and attack us now so we can get them on the counter we've got the pace up front to get the counter and we've got a striker up there now with chris wood why didn't they just go for the kill and it just really really infuriates me i think maybe that's what Debravka had in mind when he released that ball early right let's get them on the counter um possibly but it just didn't work it failed Massively, and the biggest backfire you could ever uh, ask for. Um, but it's just the mentality now: sit back, protect the lead, and be done with. But that comes from Steve Bruce. I you look at the times when we'd go surprisingly one the up in a game, and we wouldn't have another shot on target for the rest of it. Or if we would, it would just be from twenty-five yards out in a trickling off the keeper. Um, it's just something that they need to get out of their mindset. When they go for this break, whether it's in Portugal, whether it's in Saudi Arabia, they need to come back with a, a fresh mind. They need to come back as a new team. Let it be their pre-season. Let it be their whichever. And they, If they come back with the same mentality that they're already down, that they're already defeated before they even step out of the pitch, then we might as well not even bother watching because it's so soul-destroying for every single supporter out there. That's not the Newcastle United we group watching. I mean, I'll you grew group with uh, the entertainers and everything I like get. There is no way Keegan would tell his team, yeah, let's just go for a 1 0 win and sit back. And you're absolutely right with Eddie Howe. It's not in his game style, it's not in his mentality. He does not want to uh, play boring defensive football. Uh, attacking football is his thing, uh, it's his niche, effectively. And the quicker those lock can get into that, Buy into that system, then we've got a chance. But it's, I'm so angry still, so frustrated. But (laughs)
0: yeah,
1: I had a a rant there, I do apologize. But yeah, uh, they need to buy into it and buy into it quick, or else we are
0: down. Everyone was feeling so much better, and it's, I've just dragged everyone down again. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Thanks, Jack. (laughs) Any, Bobby, any final thoughts on this game before we move on and talk about something else? Um, no, look,
2: I think we've covered it. I, look, I saw on the vision Eddie Howe trying to tell the boys to push up, so it was definitely not him. There's a, there's deeper issues at the club. I think Dex has been big on this as well when he mentioned about the mentality and it, it's a squad that's broken at the moment. The early um, high spirits that had when Eddie took over has sort of dissipated and that sort of says to me, there was deeper issues underlying issues previously and it's just the honeymoon sort of worn off and now it's um you it, they're coming to four and all these different changes and everything that's going on so I, I just see massive issues here and i'm hoping that they can get a couple of signings in before Leeds. watching Leeds against west ham i don't like our chances but um <laughs> hopefully a few signings can
0: come in and they're big players and hopefully can change the mentality of the group mm. I think if Eddie didn't realize the scale of this job, I think he did. But I think he, even more so, I think every day he's learning. He he knows which players he can trust. He's learning who he needs to get rid of. But he's he's working at the moment with an arm and a leg tied behind his back, isn't he? Effectively, he's trying yeah. to make the best the best of what he can. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about Eddie Howe in the next section. He's been getting a little bit of grief, and um, and we're gonna just talk sort of generally about where, Newcastle, where this leaves Newcastle and the current sort of mood and atmosphere around the club. So we'll be back after this. OK, so let's get into this, lads. So frustration has been building within the fan base uh, a lot because of recent results, which is happens at any football club. And also because of some kind of slower than ideal progress in the transfer market. The owners are under scrutiny now, which, again, comes with the territory, that's fair enough. There's definitely a blame game going on about who or what exactly is responsible for the mess that the club finds itself in at the moment. Uh, Most people would probably agree that there's one reason or one main man, which is why we're in this mess. Um, But sort of keeping on talking about that isn't going (laughs) to move things forward at the moment. Uh, we can definitely all agree on whose fault it isn't that Newcastle are in this mess, and that's the supporters. Because the backing that the the team has had at St. James's Park, the backing that they've had on social media, has been absolutely astonishing. Nothing short of incredible since the, the takeover happened. Who gets 52,000 for a, a cup game at home against a League One team, you know? It's just... Every time you see it, it's just... It Really, I, I I, was brought up in Newcastle, born around there, and it still staggers me, the, the extent of the support that this club gets. I remember when Newcastle got relegated to the championship last time, we had the first home game was against Reading, Shoulder scored a hat-trick. I was at that game, there was 45,000 or something at that game even, you know. It's just, it kind of is taken for granted a little bit, maybe sometimes, but we shouldn't we shouldn't brush over the, the absolute support that this club is getting and the support that Eddie Howe is getting that the new owners are getting. So the fans are doing an incredible job and that's what they'll do and they'll continue to do that. But Craig, whose fault is it that Newcastle are in this position?
1: Two people. Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce. I think everyone would be unanimous with that as well. Um, I'm not going to say Eddie Howe is totally free from any criticism because he's not nobody's, but yeah, for me, I don't know, again, I think anything we all agree on this. Steve Bruce should never been appointed in the first place. Uh, he was never the right man for the job. Um, are just another one of uh, Mike Ashley's yes men. But start of the season, um, we could all tell that the players weren't fit enough. They were slow. They were lethargic. Come to the 65, 70 minute mark. they were all gassed out They could barely uh, run a few paces and i think it was wilson who actually came out in a interview and said exactly that as well and he's just literally proved what we all thought 10 weeks ago when um eddie howe first came in and mike ashley did he back him in the transfer window in the summer no he brought in a player that we'd already had in um, joe willock so the team didn't improve if anything, it went backwards because the level of fitness didn't improve. or uh, wasn't a constant, if anything. Uh, it's those two things together, they have brought down this club to the level it's at now, where financially we are solid, but we're not an attractive proposition because of that. And that is affecting the transfer window right now, I do believe. Uh, January, as we know, is notorious for getting people in regardless of uh, what club it is, but we're minted, but we're sat in the relegation zone, so you know, it's, you know, they're trying to drive a Ferrari with square wheels, you're not going to get very far, or you're not going to go very fast uh, it's single handedly, those two men there and I, again, I don't think anybody else would disagree with that.
0: Just on Steve Bruce, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, because the as we know, when he was sacked, there was a lot of dissenting voices towards that in the national media, and th- th- some of them make a fair point. Steve Bruce was our manager for two years. We avoided relegation fairly comfortably both times, although last season wasn't really comfortable until sort of towards the end of the season. But those are, those can be difficult um, facts for Newcastle fans to face up to sometimes. What do you say to the? Argument I'll I'll ask you this, Bobby. What do you say to the people who point at the fact Bruce got similar points to Benitez and that he's um, Eddie Howe's the results haven't really improved since he came in from Steve Bruce? What do you say to that?
2: Um, it is a good point, like he did, he did keep us up, but I think he was left, he got left the squad and a fitness base and everything by a world-class manager. So he came into it at a really optimal level and we saw it decay over the his two and a half years that he was there. And he left it in a, a really bad state and poor Eddies had to come in and clean it up. And you just can't have players, professional players playing in the richest competition in the world being not fit enough because every other club will be. And at their optimal level and all these facts about, you know, keeping us up after two years, a lot of it you could see was we had one really lucky year. Every result was go, we didn't know how we won <laughs> every other week. It was like, how did we win that? Um, and then a lot of it was down to the defending because of the systems and all that he, he inherited. Um, but he refused to train the players enough. He took that much leave. You know, the players would train three days a week. Um, he'd go on holidays, you know, when there was players there, there was only two international players in the squad. So, I mean, there's a lot to uncover and a lot that we don't know about as well. But anyone who says that Steve Bruce didn't leave this club in a mess doesn't know what they're talking about. And Mike Ashley, the underinvestment over 14 years is what you get. I read something on Twitter um, that on the weekend we had seven players from our championship team and Villa had zero. That tells the tale. We, how can we compete? It's it's that, just not
0: fair. That was from a game where we played Villa, wasn't it, in 2015, 2016, I mm-hmm. think it was, or 2016, yeah. 2017. And it was a game against Villa we played. <laughs> we had seven of the players from that squad in the squad for the game the other day. And Villa didn't have any in their squad. So... Uh, it, you feel like a bit of a broken record just banging on about this and we don't want to be talking about Mike Ashley and we don't want to be talking about Steve Bruce and probably two of the last people we want to be talking about. But when we're talking about the state the current state of Newcastle United, you know the new owners have been here for three months. Eddie's been here for even less. It's, it's impossible to talk about the, the current problems that, that they're, they're facing without talking about Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce. Mm. And for me, personality and character is a really massive factor for a Newcastle United manager. And um, it's probably a big factor for managers of, of any club. You want to identify with your manager and you want to you want it to be a person you can get behind, you know? Um, Benitez, Benitez had that, he had the CV, he had a lot of credit in the bank and he worked hard Eddie Howe works hard, he's, he's so diligent. You just know that he's putting absolutely everything into it. That alone is not uh, a, an attribute for being a, a top manager. You need more than that. Uh, I believe Eddie Howe has got more than that. Uh, I think that if we saw him having a full preseason with with the players and being able to sign his own players, which by the way, Steve Bruce was able to sign his own players one summer, uh, I think if we saw Eddie Howe in that position, instead of just having 10 games taking over this this squad, I think uh, he would be doing a lot better than what he is. He's in, As we keep saying, he's inherited a mess. He hasn't had any luck whatsoever either. And he's he's been hamstrung by individual errors from his defence. I don't even think it's necessarily structural problems. It's just bad, bad individual errors that have uh, come up short. So, uh, uh, we were talking about Steve Bruce, I'm talking about Eddie Howe now, but I am so, so far behind. I've got, I've got so much support for Eddie Howe, and I think I, I will do, and I think the fan base does as well. I understand that he's going to get criticised. Uh, there is, I think we were saying the other day, he needs to do something about this midfield. He did that 15 minutes too late, perhaps. He's made mistakes in team selection. His margin for error is absolutely minute because of the situation he's been left with, and because yeah. of this, the quality of his of his players. So, I understand that he's going to get a bit of criticism. Anybody, any manager does. Managers live and die by results, but I think there's so much more context to take into account here uh, for why the team are not winning games. And I don't think he's. Um, He's got. He's a major part of that, but it's football. He's going to get criticised for it. What do you think about, Sorry,
2: I think we're talking yeah. about two different things in a lot of ways sometimes, and I think we can criticise some of his decisions, and and that's fair. I think it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, Benitez was a god in his time in Newcastle, but there was elements that you'd criticise. You know. Um, not making a sub till the seventy third minute, you think. Uh, but there's got to be reasons for it. But then on the flip side, I think he's got the unwavering support of everyone as the manager and the long term manager at Newcastle United. So I think they're two different things. There's, uh, it's all right to criticise someone about their performances in a in a way that is factual and you know whatever like that. But for people that are calling Eddie Bruce, uh, Eddie Bruce. <laughs> Uh, Please no, <laughs> anyhow um to to be gone or being replaced or they don't have faith in him or he's not the right guy. That's just nonsensual. It's just not, not right. It's just um a lack of understanding what he's inherited. And I, I agree with you, Jack, in the fact that he's so hard working, he just he's so different to what we've had in the past and his character is someone that you want to have represent the club. So 100% fully behind him. Um, And I think majority of fans will be too. Craig?
1: Yeah, completely agree. Um, I'm all for Eddie Howe. I think a lot of people would have chosen Eddie Howe if, say, Ashley had been sacked and there was no takeover. He would have been a fan's choice, I would have thought, Uh, just because of, again, his work ethic. Um, he's young, he's English, he's uh, he's an upcoming manager. And I know a, a lot of people call uh, Steve Bruce a bit of a dinosaur, which I'm probably guilty of doing it myself. I think uh, Steve Bruce's time has come as a manager. Maybe he should retire, maybe not. But I think getting someone fresh and like Eddie Howe, who I think he took a, a year off and he went to study Atletico Madrid. Uh, he spent time with Diego Simone, uh, Diego Simone over there learning uh, his ways and there's not many better coaches in world football to learn from than him. Um, So it's not as if he took a year off just to sit on his backside watching TV. He went out to learn, improve himself and that just shows his hunger and it's what we want. We want a manager that will go out there and you'll study formations, you'll study tactics. And there's another word that Bruce didn't like, tactics. Um, (laughs) he'll, uh, He'll do his homework Sometimes that homework will pay off. Sometimes it won't. You're not going to win every game. Um, We're not going to win two at this race. Uh, But, you know, it's. I'm happy for how I think he's the right man for the job. I really do. And I hope he's there for a good few years to come.
0: So that's Eddie. That's Mike Ashley. That's Steve Bruce. There's two other kind of groups of people that I want to talk about here that have been coming in for some stick. So the first group is uh, the players. The players, I think, are widely acknowledged and not, very good. Uh, they, Most of them will not be here in a couple of years, regardless of what division we're in. The, the squad has been neglected, as we've already highlighted. How much do you blame the players? It's really difficult, this, isn't it? Because there's a lot of grey areas and a lot of factors that play into it. But Bobby, do you blame the players for this situation? And if, if so, to what to what degree?
2: It's a tough one. Um, I think it's hard to read what the mentality is um, amongst the playing group. To see a guy like Lasalle's, who, when he got given the captaincy, it's because he went into a change room and didn't he pin Janma up to a wall (laughs) against Southampton and tell him what's what as a young kid. And to see this version of Jamal Lasalle's now, do we blame him or is he a, you know, is this the outcome of circumstance? what's happened, you know, in the past two and a half years. So I don't want to go hard at the players. They're just not good enough, but is that their fault that they're still here? It's not Mike Ashley's fault. It, it, it's, it's definitely Mike Ashley's fault. He didn't invest. So we have to keep the players that aren't Premier League quality, especially not at a club like ours um, around. And I think, um, It's hard to do. I will criticise some players that you know are just not giving their all. Like, I've basically written off Almiron after his cameo on the weekend because he just dawdled. Like, And for a guy coming off the bench to provide energy, he just didn't want to be there. Um, So when I see things like that, yeah, I'll have a go at some players. But to blame the collective is a
0: bit hard and a bit harsh, I think. And I was talking to Dexter on Twitter about this as well. It's hard to quantify effort levels in players because players have all got different styles and they they play differently. Unless you've got somebody like Michael Owen who clearly just doesn't give a toss and he's Hmm. just there to try to hopefully not get injured so so he's out for England, you know? Um, It's hard to quantify effort levels in players. I Hmm. think that this group has generally been committed, generally been hard-working, I yeah. just don't think, I just don't think they're good enough. Um, and I think that we need, well, we do need reinforcements bad, uh, badly. So that's where I'm going to come on to the last group who have started to cop a bit of criticism and that's the owners or probably more specifically Amanda Staveley and Murdad and potentially Jamie Rubin as well, the guys who have got the management contract for running the club. So... We've brought in two players. Good good signings. They've spent they spent the money they had to spend on those two necessary signings. But we're halfway through January. We we don't have uh, centre backs, we don't have a midfielder, we don't have a left back that they're all they're all chasing. The January transfer window was notoriously difficult. Chris Woff was explaining this to us in more detail when we spoke to him. Um and I think something that is a problem as well is that we don't have a director of football in place and we don't have a chief executive. So from the outside it could look potentially like Newcastle are doing things slowly, that the owners are not moving quickly enough, maybe that they don't um appreciate the scale of the job that they're doing and they don't have the people in place. I don't think they're commitment is in doubt to it. I think they clearly want to do what they can, but the, there's question marks over the speed they're doing things and potentially over the structure of the club, which could be hamstringing our attempts at strengthening the squad this month. Craig, any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I'm with you on the, how notorious the January transfer window is. It's crazy bad. Um, Salax Ferguson had a good number of years ago now, You don't get good value in the transfer window. And when you're in a club in our position where you're sat in the bottom three, you've got X amount of millions in the bank. Clubs know you're loaded. They know you want the players. They're going to hold you for ransom. And why wouldn't they? I would expect us to do the same if it was the other way around. You're going to want the highest possible price you can get for. But they're not going to be taken for mugs. And that I can actually commend them for, to be honest, because they could turn around to a a club and say, OK, what's the price for this player? 60 million, okay, there you go. And every club would then do the same to us. We would be taken for granted every single time. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I think it's the progress is slow, but nobody else is signing two, three, four, five players right now. We're not the only ones that are having this issue. And we are the only ones in the bottom half of the table that have spent close to 40 million pounds already. I do think we'll get more players in hopefully one or two before Leeds. Definitely new centre back is a priority. Uh, A new midfielder, that is another priority. I think we all said, what, six, seven weeks ago, a new spine of the team is what's needed. And I do think we will get them. I think we are working in the background. Um, Luke Edwards said not long ago that two deals are very close. Um, How close is close, nobody really knows. But if they're in before Leeds, it can only have a positive effect and we'll see what happens with that but yeah i get the criticism on the owners but it's their first ever transfer window it's a january transfer window and it's a very unique situation we find ourselves in and i'm pleased with what we've done so far could be better absolutely we could have said no one and anyone thought about that one you know um i'm happy with it what about you bobby
0: Bobby, I'm going to come to you just on the structure of the club as well because there was we've been talking about Dan Ashworth for a while. We heard a little while ago about Michael Emanalo. There's a few reports today that potentially Peter Kenyon could be in line for a chief executive position. So the NUFC.com reported uh, yesterday, I think it was, that Nicky Hammond, who was the guy who came in to kind of try and help with the transfer situation, that he left his job after a week, something like that. Uh George Culkin and Chris Woff wrote an article for The Athletic Today where they, they name check Nicky Hammond, but they don't seem sure whether he's still there or not. What's your take on the executive kind of situation? And do you think somebody should have been appointed by now?
2: I, I know in terms of a permanent person, I think they're doing the right thing by taking their time to get the right people. They've had to do it backwards as that article in The Athletic, and I encourage if you've got a subscription to read it, because um, it points out uh, a lot of things that made me feel better <laughs> about about the club. But in terms of yeah, Nicky Hammond, that was a big surprise for me. That was, um, he was brought in to deal with the agents and to deal with the contracts and to deal with these little little intricacies that our owners don't have any experience of, and you hear that after seven days he was gone. So whether they thought, "Oh look, we'll, we'll be able to handle this. We don't need to pay you the the fees that you're going to get," or what? Who knows? But it's a worry, to be honest, because I think the Chris Wood deal was really smart in the fact that we probably overpaid, but Burnley had no choice but to release because we activated a, a release clause. And I would have expected that we would have had a few more of those lined up prior to to the Watford game, particularly like the defense. Um, A lot of players around Europe do have those in their contracts and some of them aren't very high or around what you'd buy them for anyway. So that's where my frustration, I wouldn't, it's not a frustration, it's a concern, I suppose, that Jamie Rubin, Merdad, and Amanda don't have any experience in doing this and it's an area with especially with the uh, influx of agents that you need the experience of dealing with them so the concern is who is actually dealing with these people and what are they being taken for a ride or are they being you know told one thing to waste a few days um, like the botman deal and um, a few other things, and that's my concern with what's going on, because there's no one of expertise there, but um, in term of the long term, no, I, we shouldn't hire a, di- a director of football now, just because it's January, because he's got no time to put his feet under the desk anyway,
0: so mm. that's got to be a more long-term appointment. Mm. And just, uh, just briefly, Rafa Benitez has been sacked by Everton today. Um, <laughs> this is going to bring up a predictable kind of debate on Twitter or on social media or among the fan base about whether we would we would want Benitez back uh, I've tweeted about this already, my view on this is that I, I loved Rafa Benitez, I, I do love him I think he's fantastic and he was perfect for this club at that time but my take now and maybe it's swayed by the two kind of most recent jobs he's had which have not been successful um, I don't I think if he was still here when the takeover happened, it would have been fine because he would have stayed in position. But I certainly would not want to see him come back um, now at the expense of Eddie Howe. And I definitely wouldn't want to see him in some kind of director of football position, considering the fact he falls out with absolutely everybody above him. And he he quite often falls out with players below him as well, you know, Um, as uh, Lucas Dini being sold... Kind of three days before he's been sacked, uh, demonstrates as well as how as well as how badly ran Everton are. So, um, any any other, of your opinions about this idea about Rafa potentially coming back, or should he come back, Craig?
1: Nah, that ship's long sailed now. Um, I loved Rafa, like you said, when he was at Newcastle, perfect fit. Uh, very surprised when we got him because he just wasn't a make Ashley type manager, to be honest. And. Uh, uh, think from his very first game right up to his last uh he had the best interest of the club and the fans at heart which we haven't seen for quite some time in a manager and i hope wherever he goes next i hope his next club is successful but it shouldn't be and i hope it isn't us
2: bobby yep echo those thoughts of both of you love rafa he's my king um he was unreal for us. It was like a dream when he was there to to see him on the sidelines, but not now, and do especially not as a director of football. We don't. We need harmony in that, and we need people with um, able to deal with people. But um, yeah, I wish Rafa all the success. And um, but yeah, not with us.
0: Okay, that's uh, that's us out of time. I'm sorry for kind of depressing everybody with this podcast. It was a bit it, of a depressing I, episode. I know. I, I feel. I feel miserable now. Really sorry. Don't <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll blame tuned off after five minutes. But don't worry.
0: <laughs> what can you do though? We've got like I I am I th- I'm, I'm positive. I am still positive. I think, and this is kind of, I can be accused of having a defeatist attitude in saying this. But even if we we'll get relegated, the club's still in a much much better position if we we'll get relegated than it than it was before the takeover happened. So, I am extremely optimistic i've been patient for 35 years of my life to try and see newcastle be successful so i can be patient for a little bit longer even if that means a year out of the out of the top division um i am very optimistic for the future but it's hard to uh sometimes it's hard to be optimistic when you're up in the middle of the night watching newcastle watching jamal lascelles defend or watching dubravka throw the ball away or something like that so um, I'm sorry about this podcast. I promise, promise <laughs> the next one will be more positive. We've only had one win to talk about in fucking two months. <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> but anyway, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter at TuneUnderPod, and, and visit the website tununder.com. We will be doing another watch along for the Leeds game at the same time on Sunday morning, our time. The last one was really successful. We had. 1,500 people watching at some point or another, so we're really pleased with that. That's kind of five times more than the the last few we did, so we're really grateful for that. We love the interaction, we love the uh, the chats. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Tune into podcasts. We're available on all the usual podcast platforms, and we'll be back later this week to get excited about the new centre backs we're going to be signing, the new midfielders we're going to be signing. And the absolute guaranteed three points against Leeds United. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Craig. Please don't go and jump off a bridge or something. Not yet. Not times yet. are, are going to get better. I promise. I hope so. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you. Yeah.